Dodnet Rocks episode 898 with guest Jeremiah Peshka. Recorded live Friday, August 2nd, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone 7, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks, Carl and Richard again. Again. We, how long have we been doing this stupid show? We've been doing this show for a long time, and it's not stupid. Let's just be clear here. You it's know, silly. It's wacky. It is something. and uh, <laughs> But yeah, we are coming up on show 900. This is show 898. Yeah. So, and it makes you think about as much as 900, which we've got a plan for, which I'm really happy because zero, zero show planning is hard. Yes. But we have a great plan for 900. And if you look at the upcoming shows, you'll see what the plan is. But the one that scares me, my friend, is 1000. And it's we, one year away. We got to have a party. One year away. Maybe so, we should do a Kickstarter for a .NET Rocks party and just have a idea. wild blowout somewhere. So for those who care, the 1000th episode of .NET Rocks will be published on August 7th. 2014. And yeah. So we will have to do some planning to uh, to do justice to a 1,000th episode. All right. Well, let's start with Better No Framework, my friend. All right. What do you got? This is really Better No Community. Ah, I like a good community. Yeah, I like to go out and find what... Uh, you know, relevant blog posts and things. And I know Jeremiah's got a lot of blog posts that we can point to, and, and he'll talk about those. But I wanted to find somebody else's out there. And this is, uh, if you go to tinyurl.com slash Hadoop Overflow. <laughs> what? Hadoop Overflow. So here's the post. It's a how-to post, and it's concise. Analyzing some big data using C Sharp, Azure, and Apache Hadoop, a Stack Overflow .NET namespace popularity finder. <laughs> isn't this cool so this is uh you know uh, he's a programmer blog but he he does a, a quick introduction to MapReduce, then talks about apache hadoop and hadoop streaming setting up your hadoop cluster in azure getting some stack overflow data to analyze creating our mapper and reducer applications in c sharp which are very small Deploying our mapper, reducer, and data files to Azure Hadoop cluster and uh, creating and executing the job. And it's pretty easy, pretty pretty easy introduction to all of this big data stuff. Nice. That's so cool. That's fine. Hadoop Overflow, tinyurl.com slash Hadoop Overflow. Check it out. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 876. That's the one we did with Kevin Klein talking about SQL Server. And uh, this particular comment comes from Mike Henderson, who says, A great show. Like your guest, I have worked as both a developer and a DBA. The focus of my career over the past five years has been SQL Server, so I thought this show would be pretty remedial, but not so much the Hecaton discussion. And that was the one about the upcoming new features in SQL, the next version of SQL Server. Right. And other topics really had me geeking out. I work for a small GIS services company and was especially interested in the discussion about spatial data types mm. and spatial aggregates in SQL Server. As I recall, there are some uncertainty about aggregates, and he provides a blog link, which I'll include in the show notes, uh, that covers some of the spatial aggregates that are new to SQL Server 2012. I pointed out the spatial aggregates to a coworker, and he remarked that this was GIS 101, and that Oracle was pretty far ahead of, in the game in terms of spatial data. I am pretty green when it comes to Oracle, so I can't speak to that, but I see lots of cool things to do with SQL Server, spatial data, and business intelligence. Thanks again. It's a big story, you know, bit by bit. Our databases have to deal with all these things. And you know, the big data side of this is even a whole other thing and clearly a part of our show. So we'll we'll dig into that. But, Mike, thanks so much for the link for spatial aggregates. 
and a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, WinPhone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were made by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you a mobile app, too. And, you know, one of the great ways to go about using Hadoop is through Windows Azure, as we were just talking about. And uh, the Windows Azure team has a really special promotion going on that you should uh, tell us about here, Richard. So if you've got an MSDN subscription, which, let's face it, most of us do, you are already every month getting credit to use Azure. So... What the promotion is, is to get more people who are using their MSDN accounts to also use it for Azure. So each month, for example, if you have an MSDN Ultimate subscription, which I've got, you get $150 credit to be used on Azure every month. So all you need to do is go in, uh, sign up, start using the service, and you get this credit, and you can run all kinds of things on it. They really want you to focus on the dev test stuff, but it's up to you what you do with it. So take it out for a spin. And to incentivize you... They have gone a step further and are going to give away, believe it or not, an Aston Martin V8 Vantage. Ooh. So uh, for those who are car geeks, clearly this is a yummy, 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 yummy thing. And uh, to be a part of that, just go to aka.ms slash Azure Rocks. Right. And uh, that will send you to the site and let them know you came from .NET Rocks and Activate your your service and set something up. And as soon as you've done that, as soon as you're activated, you are automatically entered into the sweepstakes. It ends on September 30th, and you could be winning yourself an Aston Martin. And you got to not only activate it, but you have to use it, right? Yeah, we want something in there. Yeah. And don't worry, Richard and I are not eligible to win the Aston Martin. Yeah, so we're never eligible to win anything. (laughs) Well, we could probably pull it off, but you know, everybody would hate us. Yeah, nothing good would come of us winning that. That would be bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they hate us enough already. Nice. Come on now. So uh, before we get Jeremiah on here, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release about 45 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Wide range of developer topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much everything you can think of on a Microsoft stack, as well as a course on big data by Andrew Brust. Nice. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce again Jeremiah Peshka. Jeremiah solves data problems using SQL Server, Hadoop, and other non-relational tools. He has over a decade of experience with performance tuning and scalability. Jeremiah is a Microsoft MVP, MCITP for SQL Server Development Administration, and a Cloudera Certified Developer for Apache Hadoop. He's also a big fan of coffee, as (laughs) am I. Is that a technology coffee? (sighs) If you you really get into coffee, it becomes sort of a technological obsession with grinders and, and other machines. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, my second wife, my current wife, of course, she uh, has grew up with Maxwell House, you know, in the paper filters and stuff. But she claimed to be a coffee junkie. And I said, oh, no, check this out. And I introduced her to the Cuisinart burr grinder in the coffee mm. percolator thing. And, yeah, one whiff of that. And it was like, I ruined her. <laughs> ruined, ruined, ruined. Yeah, and it was funny because she went kicking and screaming too. She's like, "I like my Maxwell House." Ooh, what is that? <laughs> is that Sanka? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, welcome, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. It's it's awesome to be here again. Big data, Hadoop, SQL Server, Azure, yes, all of this stuff. This is a a, a big complex. Uh, amalgam of technologies that all have to work together. Um, Thus my fascination with sort of putting it all together, you know, introductory classes, because I I find most people are just like, huh? You know, how do do all these things work together? Is this, this is sort of, uh, you also have a a training class or something on uh, introducing people to Hadoop, don't you? Yeah. I, I do. We put together a quick training class that is just an overview of the technologies at play. There, Like you said, there's so much going on in this stack. And depending on who you listen to, um, the list gets longer and longer. And it, 
to the point where it's almost overwhelming and people are just like, I don't know where to start. Help. So where do you start? I mean, obviously this isn't a training class, but let's, uh, let, let's walk through these technologies and how they all work together. So I think, um, you know, at its, at its basic, when, when you talk about Hadoop, you know, people assume it's this whole huge stack that the basic part is the Hadoop distributed file system. It's just where your data goes mm-hmm. and there's MapReduce, which runs your jobs on top of it. And, you know, you, you showed that, uh, that example at the beginning where someone wrote the MapReduce in, in C sharp. Yeah. Um, and that was actually pretty cool because usually, usually when I see those, it's these terrible multi hundred line Java examples. Yeah. I was really surprised with- at how concise it was. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Once you take the, the, the boilerplate of Java out, MapReduce isn't anywhere near as painful as you would think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those are the basics. The, the problem, the only problem I ever run into with MapReduce is I usually want to do something more complex than reading a bunch of files and outputting you know, a word count. Sure. Um, so that's where, where the things like Hive come in. Um, Hive is sort of like a database. It's more like an enterprise data warehouse that lives on top of Hadoop. Hmm. Um, so this is an actual physical data warehouse somewhere that uh, that people have access to. Right. You, you would, you, depending on how you use Hive, um, you can use it for queries. It might take 30 seconds to a minute to run, or you might even do huge batch jobs with it. Mm-hmm. But you write something that looks an awful lot like SQL. And so you might be processing flat files or XML or some proprietary EDI format, but you're writing SQL on top of it. And so you can even write joins, group by, windowing functions. Hmm. And it's happening at a ridiculous scale across cloud servers that you rent by the hour or even by the minute in Azure, or maybe you really want to have big iron or a lot of iron in your own data center. Um, And it's a cheaper way to get a lot of that rather than buying a Teradata or, or a a parallel data warehouse, Mm. sort of a different approach to that kind of enterprise data warehouse query scenario. Hmm. And Hive is big. I mean, and let's, is it like NSA big or is it how big is Hive? <laughs> Hive came out of Facebook. Um, they needed to, you know, they had all these individual tiny MySQL servers and they're like, well, I don't, we can't query across all of them. Let's, let's load our data into something. And so Hive came out of Facebook's attempt to, you know, query all of Facebook sized data. Wow. Which, which is not insignificant. That's only a, portion of NSA size if you think about it. <laughs> it's, it's right. It's not it's not all of our phone calls, but it's at least 15% of our phone calls and text messages. And maybe 80% of your cat pictures. Mm. So you know, yeah, it's it's hive hive is really interesting because it it does handle these really huge scenarios, but you can still sm- start relatively small. Um we did a, a case study with one of our clients. They they had a, a reasonable amount of data in SQL Server, but they only had SQL Server Standard Edition, and they had about 800 gigabytes of data, which is you know Standard Edition only supports 64 gigs of RAM, mm. and anything beyond that, you're sort of running into some disk related bottlenecks. Mm. So they said, "Well, we need to report on all this data we've logged. How are our users using the website? How can we better advertise?" How can we take their money faster? Right. And because which is, that's usually what we want to know is how to, how are people using things so we can sell them services or products better? Absolutely. So we, we just pulled the data out of SQL server and pushed it into hive and then did regular processing every night, just nightly batch jobs in hive produced reports for the business users to consume. And now, now the business users are very excited. Like I never had this kind of data before. Yeah. For example, I'm on a website and a little thing pops up that says, Hey, I just noticed you called your wife and called her snookums. Would you like to buy her some flowers? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was on NSA.gov. You know, it's just obviously on my mind. Well, sure. I mean, it's one of the ways where, Traditionally, you would buy some very large computing appliance to do these kind of big queries. And the problem with a lot of the computing appliances is it's not so much a problem, just the way they're built. When you, if you need to make it bigger, if you need to store more data, right? You typically buy a bigger one and move your data move. into the bigger one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and with Hive and Hadoop, you can start small. And as you scale out, you just rack more servers. 
Right. Say, no, no, just keep, keep, keep giving me more data space. Just keep racking more servers. Right. And you don't, Hadoop sort of makes it transparent to you about coordinating between all those machines. You don't have to deal with that. Right. That's exactly why it's so, so powerful that, that whole, the underlying map reduce paradigm in Hadoop, as long as you write code that uses those map reduce libraries, Hadoop will distribute the work across all of those servers. If you have four servers or 400, it will do the best job it can to, to move the computation over to the data and do all of the work and then eventually get your results back. So, I mean, in an ideal world, you want to have a bunch of servers that already have all the data so you don't have to move the data around. Exactly. This is big data. This is terabytes of data we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, terabytes. Terabytes is sort of the small end petabytes, of where you would start. Exabytes. Petabytes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know Yahoo have advertised that for a while their largest Hadoop cluster was, I think, 20,000 servers at one point. Yeah. Um, each of which with multiple terabytes of data on it. Man, that's a lot of data. It's a lot of data. Um, you know, and when you, when you say you've got one terabyte per server, you know, crunching through one terabyte on reasonably fast disk drives doesn't take that long. So if you've got petabytes of data and thousands of servers, it really doesn't take you that long to process a lot of information. Click data coming in, financial analysis data, where you have lots of little points of data, um, it can make a lot of sense. Just storing it on cheap, cheap hard drives, processing it on cheap servers, and, and not really worrying too much about storage expense. Yeah, you could spend a lot of money on SQL Server building these elaborate SANs and storage technology and fast servers to cluster together to run all of this. Right, you could. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things that makes a lot of sense for this is using using these big solutions to process data and push it down into a meaningful form so that users can keep using the tools they're normally used to, like reporting services or analysis services or Excel, which is really what most people are familiar with, to keep processing that data. You may do a lot of heavy lifting in Hadoop, but a lot of people are then pushing it back somewhere where end users can keep using traditional tools to manipulate the final output. One thing we really haven't done on, on the show, we've talked about MapReduce, but we didn't really talk about what that process uh, essentially does. And um, yeah. I'm looking at the uh, the blog post I referred to earlier. He, d he does a pretty good job of explaining it in a couple of lines. The map function takes a data set uh, and splits it into multiple key and value pairs. Is that a fairly accurate uh, yeah, description of what map does? That's that's fairly accurate. Um, especially speaking in in you know Hadoop terms, we're always working on a key value pair. That that map it just reads the data off of the disk. There's some key, be it you know file name and line number or however you've yeah. got that identifier, and you do something with it. So um, you give it a list of keys, and then it maps those uh, the data sets into discrete value pairs, name value pairs. Ex yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, one of my friends, the easiest uh, way to think about it is map is your select it's the from and the joins right and then reduces group by ah uh, yeah yeah so that's a, a sort of an aggregate function like a right, sum average or other like yeah. say group by yeah <laughs> compute standard deviations yeah. do something that the statisticians told me to do right um, something yeah, i had to that took <laughs> me weeks in statistics class to learn how to do by hand <laughs> exactly. Now I have now. one line of code. Oh, I could have saved so much money in college using system.math <laughs> <Yeah>. semicolon. Okay, <laughs> that's solved. the class. Have a good day. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, exactly. And, and you're not just doing it on one one problem. You're like, ah, it's taking it three hours. I'll oh. never compute all my NSA data. No, it's um <laughs> system.math, all the NSA. <laughs> Oh, man. Select from phone calls where caller equals Carl. Nice. <laughs> and recipient Ex equals Carl's wife. <laughs> Suggest flowers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with billions of rows of data at our disposal, this might take hours in SQL Server, but we could do it in seconds with enough Hadoop hardware. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> but it, and 
I hate, I, I am, it frustrates me that every time we talk about Hadoop, we immediately jump to the cloud. I got, A, I'm, I'm dealing with some folks who just won't go to the cloud. Mm, sure. The other one is, if I've got several terabytes of data sitting on my servers in my rack, mm-hmm. hauling those to the cloud costs Ugh. money and right. time. Yes. Yeah, the, the 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 client I mentioned earlier that we did this with, um, we were only able to push up to the cloud because the way the data was formatted, we could aggressively compress it using BZIP2, and they had spare resources sitting around, so we could take seven minutes to compress a file. Right. Um, you know, for a lot of people, if you don't have your data already up there, the primary way you generate the data already up in somebody's cloud, you can't. It, it may not be cost effective to stream. You know, up to Amazon, up to, up to Azure. It's, it's just not going to happen. Right. Um, and this, but this can work too in, in your internal data center because nothing says you can't use Hadoop on, you know, on blades or on little pizza box one yep. unit servers. Well, we did, the, we did this at Strange Loop with our load test servers. Uh, you know, once a month we needed to do, we wanted to crush a whole bunch of production log files to sort of look for trends. Mm-hmm. And so we'd shut down a couple of racks worth of pizza boxes that we used for load testing, replace their images with these Hadoop configurations. And then th- the magical part for me was you just had a prompt at a console that was talking about a drive that actually represented all of those machines. So when you copied the file from the external store into that Hadoop store, it just went across the machines. You wow. didn't do anything. You didn't have to break it up. You didn't have to think about that. It just happened. Right. We talked about this before with Hadoop on the show, but it's a good time to revisit. Let's say I've got uh, a couple of data stores. Uh, you know, I've got disparate systems that I want to all aggregate mm-hmm. into one thing. Uh, how do I connect those with Hadoop without bringing that data to the cloud? Without bringing it, so you like with a Hadoop on premise, like. Mm-hmm. But if I'm if I've got say three or four different sites all over the world. And I want to do sure. the computing uh, on all of those things, yeah. Um, Hadoop, it, it currently really only works well within one data center. So the downside is you still have to push all of the data in, but you don't have to transform it into some regular schema. Right. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have to have a complex ETL job. I don't have to have an SSIS package that may explode if a comma is in the wrong place. Yeah. Uh, well, or this if, is when you talk about the difference between Hadoop and data warehousing. The whole right. normalization process of data warehouse is hell. It is. And the beautiful part about Hadoop is that I can just write a processor that says, oh, if if my vendor has given me a file with version one, do this to get the row out. If it's version two, do this to get the row out. And you supply whatever tools you need, be it XML, JSON, comma separated, whatever. Then you can treat that however you want to treat it, as long as there's a way to read that data out of the file. Right. And, and into memory. Um, and then, you know, adding Hive on top of that, I now could have payment processing data in XML format from, from my payment gateway system. I could have EDI data from suppliers. I could have data that I've exported as CSV from SQL Server, and I can join all that together in this giant cluster. But you have to upload it into Hive. Is what yeah, you still have, yeah. yeah, you still have to get it into Hadoop somehow. Right. So is that, a, is that an opportunity, uh, or is this even a problem? Is this not a problem? I'm making it a problem. Is it an opportunity for somebody to make some sort of um, uh, you know, distributed connector for uh, Hadoop warehouses? I think I think there's definitely some opportunity there for that kind of thing. Um, data stacks, the the folks who make Cassandra, their data stacks enterprise product. You can run Hadoop on top of Cassandra, which is sort of like turtles all the way down. That <laughs> <laughs> one in a while. Yeah, it's turtles all the way down, all the way down. You know, it's no SQL all the way down. But you can, and then with data stacks with Cassandra, you can have multiple clusters and different data centers that replicate data between each other. Okay. So you can you have your Hadoop on top of that, or you know there are ways to sort of um, replay the HDFS logs. But there's not, you know, it's sort of a it's like log shipping in SQL Server. Mm. So you might push the data in into some sort of read-only location where you're doing analysis and then have a separate, you know, have a separate analytics cluster in another location. But you're still moving data into one. You're still, yeah. 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 So that that is, 
the downside, you know, or you can read it from one of those remote systems, but then you're just talking about tremendous latency to read that data out of a remote system. It's, it's going to work best when the data is inside Hadoop and it's on the actual servers in right. the Hadoop cluster. Because it really needs to look at all the data as, a, uh, as one set. Right. To, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and if, if you have some serial process to read rows out of a database, well, you're just streaming into one server. And at that point, you might as well just open up a data reader and process your data yourself. Right. So it's this, yeah. But what I find interesting is that the distribution mechanism is just multiple files. <laughs> it's simple. It works. Yeah. Um, it, it's so simple that for guys like me who've worked hard in complex data systems, we're overthinking everything all the time. Yes. I mean, the, the, the upside, it's, it's, you know, one of the things Hadoop does is when you write into the Hadoop HDFS, it makes three copies of the data. And it, you can actually tell Hadoop these servers are in this rack. And so it's, it's somewhat rack aware. And it will try to spread those copies out amongst different racks. So that way, if you were to lose a top of the rack switch, you still have copies of your data in that cluster. Right. So it's almost raid-ish. It is. It's sort of a um, poor man's raid. I just have three copies of my data. Hmm. Um, but you know, the upside of that too is if, if a job fails on one server for some reason, um, say your sysadmin thought that that was a really good time to try to update the JVM on that one server and it takes the server down, it, you can restart your job somewhere else. Nice. Because you have another copy of the data somewhere else. So... Is Hive the way to go here that I, I set up? If I'm going to run this in my own data center, I use Hive to organize the data? I think Hive is the easiest entry point for a lot of people because it, it looks like SQL. It's, you know, they call the language Hive QL. Right. It's very similar to what you would use in MySQL. You know, coming from Facebook, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think Hive is the best place for, for people who are familiar with doing analysis in SQL to get started using Hadoop. And and just to be clear, this stuff's all free. Just download it and get to work. It's all Apache Foundation software. Right. It's it's all Apache Foundation. Even the different vendors have free versions of their tools. You know, you can go to Hortonworks or the people behind HD Insight and you can download Hortonworks for Windows. You can download a VM from Cloudera or MapR mm. that, that has Hadoop running on it. So you don't even have to set it up or ins and install it. You can just download a virtual machine for Hyper-V or for VMware and just start clicking around and go. I, and I love this movement of just have a VM so that you're no longer fighting the configuration. Here's a working configuration. Now tinker. <laughs> we know you're a Windows developer, but here, here's this angry thing called Linux. Have fun with that. <laughs> and while deep down it hates you, it'll do stuff for you if you try hard. <laughs> Open up a command prompt, type Emacs, and then leave the room forever. Nice. <laughs> well, you know, some people like that stuff. They do. Scott Stanfield. Um, <laughs> okay. I, think, I think the VMs really help, though. It, it makes it really approachable of, you know, yeah, here's the way I go. Or, I, yeah. or you can download. Microsoft even have an installer for the local HD Insight. You know, it's just click the thing and web platform installer will fill your computer with stuff. And good stuff will happen from there. That's right. Well, no, and I'm there totally with this. Okay, so we set up with Hive and, you know, get our – and I'm literally – maybe we're just talking about website log files, which can get massive, especially if you're looking yeah. at a lot of them. Oh, geez. There's a great application. I'm just trying to think through a simple scenario here of I've got these and they zip up nicely. So I've been keeping them for years to be used as evidence against you. But <laughs> So now I can roll these things out, stuff them into hive, spread them across machines so we can really do some analytics on them. Yeah. And, and, you know, you got hive will just read files that you've thrown into Hadoop. It's not, you know, you say, here's, here's my file format. And you can even tell it that this file on disk is compressed. So you don't have to worry about storing uncompressed data. Hadoop takes care of that. Um, and you know, that's, that's really the, the good SQLish entry point for working with large scale. So Hadoop. I don't even have to unzip it. I can literally just make the zip files available to Hive done. Yep. Done. Um, you know, you, you technically you need to be careful about the file format you use because, um, record boundaries get kind of funky. You know, you, you want to make sure you have all of one row, all of one log record on the same server. For So some file formats, some compression formats, Hadoop won't spread them out across the cluster very effectively. So you want to make sure that if you are compressing data, you either A, 
keep it under 64 megs right. per file, which is the default chunking size that Hadoop uses, or make sure that you choose a compression algorithm that Hadoop knows how to sort of split at record boundaries. Um, hmm. It's just like in SQL Server, your DBAs get all upset if you make a row that's over 8,000 bytes. You're like, no, don't do that. Why? Bad things. Okay. Don't put PDFs <laughs> in the database. dragons. Yeah. <laughs> don't put your resume in the SQL Server. Fine. Yeah. Okay. You want to make sure that you are not doing things in a way that causes a lot of problems for Hadoop just because you decided this compression algorithm is really good. Even though Hadoop can't read it, I'm going to compress this two terabyte file <laughs> down to 15 gigabytes. Yeah. Well, okay, now you have one server with a giant 15 gig file on it and the rest of your servers are empty. Yeah, right. Well, Richard, yes, sir. you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to find a gym on the map so I can reduce my fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> No, of course, it's time to give away a copy of Telerik's DevCraft Complete Collection Awesome to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before we give that away, I need to tell you that Telerik was one of the first vendors to provide support for Windows Azure back in early 2009 when the cloud platform was first released as the Cloud Trust Protocol. And now they offer everything needed to help .NET developers build quality web, desktop, Windows phone, and iPhone and Android phone applications in the cloud quickly and easily, right out of the box. Check out Telerik.com slash Azure and take the shortest shortcut to Windows Azure development. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner of the DevCraft Complete Collection is none other than Venkat Ecoli. Oh, congratulations, Venkat. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Venkat. So this is he just got everything Telerik makes in one box. That's their DevCraft Complete Collection. We give away one on every show. Also, we're giving away a Franklin Brothers CD, Lifeboat to Nowhere. Just got a new pressing of them because we burned through the first group. Nice. And uh, this is a, a great CD. If you like classic rock, Beatles, Eagles, uh, Steely Dan, good vocals, good tunes, Lifeboat to Nowhere is the name of it. And our winner today is Calvin Allen. Congratulations, Calvin. We'll be sending that to you. CD for you. Yeah. Make sure you write a good review on iTunes. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and enter the fan club. Uh, it just takes a few minutes. We have thousands of members, and you could win something. Every December, we're going to give away $5,000 worth of technology. We already did it last year and uh, gave away a great big developer machine for uh, mobile development and tablet development. And uh, you could win as well. And we'd like to ask our guest, Jeremiah, if you had $5,000 today to spend on technology, what would you buy? $5,000 today to spend on technology. Doesn't have to be developer technology. Anything you want. Anything I want. Wow. Um, can it be something that's going to come out in like two months? Sure. Yeah, You're sure. pre-ordering. It'll take us that much time <laughs> to get it together, actually. So. Excellent. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> Uh, actually, I'm I am pining for a brand new Mac Pro once they show up. Ah, uh, uh, yes, and you could spend uh, five grand on a Mac Pro. Oh, easily mm. that that whole f huge amounts of memory that you can shove in that thing. You could spend so five grand on the monitor. I. <laughs> it's about it's about one grand, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, CDC, sir, I've been looking at 4K monitors for a while now. They, you know. Uh, oh, wow. 3840 by 2160. Like, man, mm -hmm. man, that's a lot of resolution. It's a lot of space. Yes. My, my business partner, Brent, who you, I know you guys have talked to on, sure. um, on his radio. He is, he is desperately trying to resist buying a 4K monitor. Well, they're getting down. They're about, uh, I think Asus is releasing one for about 3,500 bucks. And that's. <laughs> A lot for a monitor, but you know that was the kind of money we were spending on big LCDs just a few years ago. I, spent, right. I think I dropped that on a regular thirty-inch in, uh, LCD well, monitor just a few years ago. Back in back in spring, when we were all out in Vegas for intersections, we were I was wandering around at the uh, Sony store, yeah. and they had four they had four K TVs for fifteen thousand dollars. Right? Wow. Um, Good lord! It's just. The price is just dropping on this stuff. Yeah. So it's well, and and it's this really high DPI displays. This is what the Mac Pros got now. I saw a guy doing development on the previous generation Mac Pro in native resolution, running oh, in Windows, wow. had Studio open. He had three code windows open side by side. 
because <laughs> the, the text is so dense. Now, I couldn't read them because they're so bloody small, but he was young and I'm getting old. Well, that's his defense. He doesn't want to spend the extra 15 bucks for one of those uh, 3M security screens for his laptop. So he just yeah. makes it really tiny instead. <laughs> exactly. 300 dots per inch out of a screen. Remember that was epic on paper? Now yes. we're getting it out of our screens. Hmm. Crazy. And that's just one. How many screens can you actually connect to these uh, to the Mac Pro? Like five uh, or something? Yeah. Be, it's, got, it's got two graphics cards in it. Man. Right. Whew. Yeah. Technology. Okay. We digress. Oh, no. I've got the, yeah, I've got, I've got that, uh, you know, Tim the Toolman Taylor vibe going right now. I want to start <laughs> grunting over this hardware. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we digress. <laughs> More about how I can win that Aston Martin you, you mentioned earlier. Yes. yes. It's all about Azure. Hey, use your, use your Azure account at MSDN. All right. What I'm most excited about when we talk about Hadoop in the context of a .NET developer is that I don't have to program in Java, that I could do this in C-sharp. So where yeah. does the C-sharp part really come into play? So the, the, that C-sharp part comes in um, from, I think it's actually only in, in the HD inside of the Microsoft side, and they're sort of sh shelling out to these programs that you've got, so you can sort of push it in. Everything will work in there and you're just writing your map, your mappers and your reducers. So if, if one of the other higher level abstractions like Hive or this thing called Pig and there's a, there's a number of frameworks that sit on top of it. If that abstraction is too, too abstract really for you, then you might want to drop down and be closer to the metal. And that's when you would start writing your map reduce functions in C sharp because no Java. Right. Mm. Okay, so I mean, to your point, if you're living in Hive, you've got your your Hive QL, and you can do your queries and your joins that way, and it's going to run against the files, and life yep. is good. You don't have to get down the into the nitty gritty, but if you want more control, this is the option. Right. If you know, if you know that you know this particular way of joining file files together is going to be far more efficient than you know hive just does you know sorted merge join it sorts two files and sort of zippers them up together mm. uh, if you know something that's going to be better you would use that if you know you have a better way to read your data off of the disk you would use that so yeah if you, you don't really need to drop down to c sharp um but if you know you need to or if you just want to do something simple where you don't want to stand up hive you're like no no i just need to count words don't worry right <laughs> <laughs> So start with Hive, but if you want to go deeper, and and you're suggesting it's the HD works, it's the Hortonworks stuff is the easy way uh, yeah. to get to C sharp. Yeah, it's the Hortonworks, the HD Insight uh, from Microsoft, the Hortonworks uh, platform for Windows. That's the easy way to get to C sharp. Um, if you're going to do it somewhere else, I don't. You'd probably have to write your own programs. That's something called Hadoop Streaming, which sort of shells out from Java to external programs. Um, the C sharp isn't supported on all of Apache Hadoop yet. Right. Hmm. Does it have to be Java? Or I, I've got to think somebody's doing this with JavaScript too, because JavaScript. Right. Yeah. In the Hadoop and Azure, you can do C sharp and JavaScript as well as any of the other regular stuff. Um, you can write them in Python, Ruby, whatever language you want. There are frameworks to, to use. You know, in, in the Java world, anything that can run on the JVM, you can write Hadoop MapReduce jobs in it. Right. Um, on the Windows side of the house, we've got C Sharp and JavaScript. And the really cool part is with HD Insight, you can, you can fire up that little console in Azure and just type your JavaScript into a text box and go. Yeah, so these are all command line bits of code you're building, basically. Yes, the, the UIs, the, the, I think one of the greatest things that came out of Microsoft and Hortonworks working together to bring out HD Insight, apart from that it runs on Windows, which is pretty cool, is that they added a really attractive GUI on top of it. And, and for many people, that really matters. Not necessarily that we all like shiny things. We do. Ooh. But... <laughs> <laughs> But it makes it very easy to get started. You know, it's it's not like, okay, I have this blinking prompt that clearly is angry. What do I do now? Um, <laughs> it's, instead, it's like, okay, I know what this is. I can click over here and say, run a job. And I, I tell it which job to run. And I click and then it says it's running it. And, and the feedback is immediate. If there's an error, you don't get a 1500 line Java stack trace telling you explicitly where you should go. Um, 
it's, it's a lot nicer. Yeah. And I think that's you know, a, a really good thing that came out of all of this. You know? Friendly. Yeah, we've got C Sharp. Yes, we have JavaScript. But more importantly, this thing that can process terabytes of data and petabytes of data is not actively trying to bite my hand off. Nice. You don't have to memorize those keywords, right? Exactly. You don't, you don't have to know how to read a stack trace anymore. You don't have to figure out which log file you need to tail on, on, the, you know, on the OS. It's just a lot easier, a lot nicer to work with. Which, I mean, that brings us back to this whole, you know, if you want this all to be easy, that's one of the reasons to go to the cloud, because you have all these pre-configured options that'll just light up for you. Right. You know, with, with HD Insight, now that's probably what I would have chosen when I did things, I did that proof of concept for the client that they now use and love. We did it all in Amazon. They have their Elastic MapReduce, where you, mm. you know, you go to a console and you're like, I need five servers and they need to be this big. Go. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Oh, I need more servers. You change a line in a config file and click go. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. A, an exciting exciting characteristic to this, absolutely. What happens when we want to get, you know, we're still talking about some pretty simple cases like crushing through a bunch of uh, of web log yeah. files, but I got to think that, you know, where you get real insight is when you start intersecting more interesting data. And some of that sure. stuff you're not going to own. Maybe it's a web service or an OData source up in the in the cloud somewhere. Can you yeah. join that to the Hadoop data set? That's basically the question that I was asking before, which is you've got data that's maybe in a couple of different places. How can, oh, how can that I, all come together in one query? I misunderstood you before. Uh, <laughs> so if you've got OData, if you've got, if you've got something, you know, some web service, you can certainly pull that in and sort of treat it like, um, you know, like a, like a dimension table. In a, in a data warehouse sense, and you could join that, pull that data down, and you've got many. You can have many map and reduce steps, many many different phases. So you could pull that data down and then join to it. As long as you have a, a succinct way to say, okay, here is here is my data. Let's work within this. You know, you don't want to be calling a web service for every record right. in a two terabyte file. But if you've got a way to say, yeah, this is what I need, get it. You can certainly do that. And as long as you know. It's O data. It's JSON. I've got XML because XML is awesome. Well, and I th I was thinking of you know different layers, and I this is I can't vi I'm visualizing it, but it's very hard to vocalize. But uh, you know, if you have some sort of what you need from this set, maybe expressible in a in a sort of an yeah. aggregate way that could still be useful to the master query. You know, so yes. we've got several several sort of satellite things out there rather than dumping the entire data contents of the database into a single place and then going through it to send these sort of sub queries for aggregates to to go out to the satellite uh, data yeah. centers yeah and you can definitely there's there's lots of different ways you can build up you know pipelines to push data in or, or pull data from different data centers mm. it it really is at its core while there are, are tools like hive it's a that sit on top of Hadoop, it's a framework for building distributed systems. Right. It makes it really easy so you don't have to go out and learn distributed systems programming because that's hard. Right. And, in, and instead, we can trust that some very smart people have solved many of these problems and we can push data, we can pull data. Um, you, know, you can wire together even multiple systems to have real-time and, and older data and pull from OData sources and web services. Yeah, very cool. I guess I still you still get back to this whole of uh, I've got to download that data and so that's close by. Right. Well, not always, I guess. There may be situations where you if you're just looking for a number, right? You you run the the queries at each individual satellite data center if, for lack of a better word, and then sort of bring those numbers all together and aggregate those where you, you don't have to pull the actual data back into one place. But it's where it's, the data needs to interact, where the query needs to interact with all of the data. Do you know what I mean? That 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 would require everything being in one place. And I'm trying to find it, yeah. an example that I can't off the top of my head. It's it's one of the things where you know ultimately you're writing. At some point, you can you know write whatever code you want. And so it's a matter of you, you can integrate anything in, but what's your tolerance for the latency that that brings in? Um, you know. For example, Hive actually takes your query and turns it into a Java MapReduce job, which means you have to spin up a brand new JVM 
for every stage. So it adds some significant latency. As long as you're okay with that latency, uh, you know, Hive queries work really well. And likewise, as long as you're okay with calling out to a web service for that data and the latency it introduces, you know, go ahead and build whatever you need to build in there. The, the upside is this isn't a transactional system. It's not like you're running this on top of a SQL server mm. where you may have, you know, you might be holding locks for a really long time while you're right. waiting for a web service to respond. This is just a bunch of flat files. Right. So you, you get a little bit more flexibility because you aren't necessarily causing some of the same problems you would cause doing that on a, on a regular transactional system, on a regular relational engine. Yeah, this doesn't have the same impact. But And I guess the question is, how fast did you want this stuff to run? All of this feels like post-facto analytic work, not sort of real-time stuff. Right. Hive and a lot of, and MapReduce are still sort of, they're batch. They're not that fast yet. Right. Um, there are other tools on top of it. There's something called Impala, which just came out from Cloudera, which is a C++ layer that acts a lot more like what we're used to with a query engine. So you could do much closer to real-time queries in the order of seconds rather than minutes. Um, and, and there's a lot of work going into making it run faster and faster so that we can get very, very close to real-time. But if you still need that real-time access, what a lot of people are doing is pre-processing data as it streams in, doing a lot of you know, stream processing with um, tools like Flume and other other different frameworks that way they have pre-aggregates done when people come in and read those canned aggregates and then you might have to run a 15-minute report for whatever strange query you're running across all of carl's phone records right exactly what is flume uh flume is is basically a system to do stream processing you have you know they call them taps and syncs you have data sources and destinations you Mm -hmm. say okay well i've got i've got log files that are in the apache log file format Okay. And it will just sit there and stream those files in. And so that way, if you want to parse the record in certain ways and do like, you know, geo lookups on IPs. So it's an adapter. Yeah, it's an, exactly. It's an adapter between data sources. Great. Apache Flume. There it is. Flume.apache.org. At some point, the Apache organization is just going to be nothing but Hadoop. Yeah, as long as they stay away from that terrible 70s song for their theme song. Then we'll be okay. <laughs> I remember now. It's like, what's Apache? Oh, man. Oh. I can't believe you pull this stuff out of your head. It just freaks uh, me out. I'm sorry. That's going to be stuck in my head all day. <laughs> Horrible music haunting. Actually, I have the best video uh, for the guys in the seventies that made a music video of a of a cover of Apache, it's like out in the woods and like they're playing guitars and with no amplifiers and they're obviously not playing, and then three <laughs> three babes come out from behind a tree and skimpy you know Native American garb. It's so repulsive. It's like leather <laughs> bikinis with little dingly with bits, tassels. Yeah, you oh got God. it. Yeah, and oh, feathers and in their heads. And I hate. I've seen this. I think you've shown this it's to me. So bad. I must have blocked it out. <laughs> is, is this like one of those things that's that's offensive on like three to four levels? It's minimum? offensive on so many levels. And then the the main guy is a keyboard player, and of course the keyboards aren't plugged in, and they're electronic, and he's standing in the woods, right? Right. <laughs> but just imagine Doug Henning. As a lead singer, keyboard player, doing Apache. It's the hair. To, and trying to get into it. And the handlebar mustache. <laughs> oh. <laughs> nice. I, I'm going really to have to find a link to this. I will. I, it I literally caught, yeah, I remember seeing it and it causes a kind of seizure. <laughs> right? Like you're offended at a level that, yeah, you literally are unable to act. You are a, a deer in a grotesque headlight. I think Phil Weber sent it to me. He says, this is my new band. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, I'll man. find it. Yeah. We'll add those show to the show notes just because. I cannot wait to watch that. Oh. All right. We got to talk about this a little bit more because I think we've gotten as far as here's where I put the data. Here's how I start to write expressions to pull some sets out. Now, yeah. what comes back is basically a text file, isn't it? Um, so it'll, it'll depend on, you know, sort of where, where you are in the stack. 
at at MapReduce, yeah, you're just sort of outputting text. Um, you're outputting bytes, and you sort of say, "Here's here's the here's the way you write my bytes." Right. Um, be it comma separated tab. Uh, I don't know Excel. If you have some Java process or C sharp, that'll write out Excel. And then as you go higher up the level with Hive, you would you know insert into a table, for okay. lack of a better term, in Hive, which is again though just it's some format that you tell that process how to write to disk. You're still pushing stuff down to disk or you can hook ODBC adapters up to this as well. Like Tableau has one. There's one for reporting services. There's one for Excel. So you right. could, you could get things that look like tables back and you could put it into Excel and make attractive charts and then host them in your SharePoint server. Yeah. Well, and that's the interesting part is like you get all the way to this point. And, but I think, you know, I don't want to walk past the fact that the fact that this data was distributed across multiple machines, although you didn't distribute it. That right. you've run a query across multiple machines, although again, you didn't distribute it. You're not getting multiple sets back. You're getting a set back. Right. You're getting one set back. And this giant, this platform is, is responsible for making it look like a single set to you. Right. So you've got all that, all that fancy work that goes on behind the scenes so that you, know, you and I don't have to worry about distributed systems. We just say, yes, run my query, Hadoop. Go. Nice. And then, it, yeah, uh, and out it comes. Right. Because who wants to write their own join algorithm? No. No. Make that go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are not computer science undergrads. Moving on. Yeah. Well, I got other things to do. I actually have to, you know, the goal here was to act on this data, not to just collect it. Exactly. So yeah, it, it gives you ways to do a lot of really interesting things and really interesting tools to analyze data. Um, and you know, we've only touched the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of, there's a lot of complexity in the platform that you can add on top of it. Um, there, for example, there's something called Mahout or Mahout, depending on how you pronounce it and, and how Midwestern you are. Mahout? Uh, Mahout. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's machine learning. It's distributed machine learning algorithms. So if you need to start doing complex classification on your many terabytes to petabytes of data, you can start using these tools to do k-means and, and other interesting things that sort of give me a headache when I try to think about them. Um, but but you can you know do all this interesting analysis. Uh, I found it. Uh oh, this is gonna be great. Um, uh, yes, I f I found it. If <laughs> You can you can link me up when we finish. Tinyurl.com slash bad Apache. Oh no. Oh no. The Tommy right. Seabach band Apache. <laughs> Five minutes of your life you're never getting back. I'm so nice. sorry in advance, but you're gonna love me for it. Excellent. But you know, like <laughs> back to the subject of, of elephant drivers in Hadoop. Yeah. yeah. Um you know, you can there's a there's a lot of tools on top of Hadoop. That make it possible to do your work in a variety of formats. You have you have Hive with its SQL. Um, you have Mahout, which will help you do large scale analysis. You have Flume to push data into Hadoop or even move data around mm -hmm. based on certain processes. There's a lot of different tools that make it very easy to do certain types of work. So you can customize this just like you would change up maybe the paradigm of programming you use. You might use aspect-oriented programming in some places or, or F-sharp if you're a masochist. Right. F-sharp has come to mind a couple of times during this conversation. One, when you were talking about just being able to look at a file, you know, yeah. with, uh, with, with F-sharp, you can just sort of automatically type things. Right. And say, here, go look at this and figure it out and give me an interface for it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's even something, speaking of functional work, there's something called scalding. So originally there was a framework called cascading, which is pure Java. It's very Java-ish way to process data. Mm. And then some functional programmers who really like Scala wrote scalding, which is a <laughs> really interesting way to do, to do this stuff. And I like scalding and I like Scala in part because it's C sharp enough that I'm not writing a ton of boilerplate if I need to use the JVM. Yeah. Um, and one of the guys from the HD Insight team actually did a, uh, a great presentation. Matt Winkler, his slides are online. I wish I knew the URL off the top of my head, but he did a sort of a data processing and scalding talk. It's really interesting how you can use it and you can write really concise, really clear code to do a lot of processing of data that would normally be thousands and thousands of lines of Java. It's amazing how these languages are so concise for these certain tasks. 
Right. And, and that's where, where a lot of this comes in. You know, Flume is very concise for the task that it excels at. Yeah. Mahout's very concise. And the idea, what, what we really get with something like Hadoop is we can pick and choose which pieces of that framework we use to build up exactly the, the data landscape, the data scenario that we, that we need to solve these problems. And I, I like the whole machine learning piece of this because it gets to this idea of, you don't necessarily know what you're looking for. Right. You know, find me people whose phone calls are similar to Carl's and who also similarly do not buy flowers for his wife. Yes. Um, and then we will market flowers to them because Carl <laughs> tweeted about how much his wife loved him after he bought flowers from a certain local florist. Absolutely. But, but isn't it, that's still presuming that you figured out the association of when he buys flowers, his wife is happy. I want uh, right. a tool that finds those kinds of relationships for me. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, depending on the kind of data that you've got, you know, you can do anything. One of the problems with, um, with, with data and, and especially big data is, of course, you can, you can find correlations wherever you want to look for them, like some sort of crazy person, you know. Clearly, there's a comp- conspiracy theory here. Whenever Carl goes right. out for pizza, there's a drone strike. Well, uh. whenever flowers arrive at the door, my wife says, what did you do? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's not Why necessarily a are you giving me flowers? Right. Yeah. She's not actually happy, so we don't want to market <laughs> to people similar to you. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, you know, part of it also comes down to what you need as you as you start going further and further into using a large scale analysis. Is not only do you need developers who can work within these tools, but you also need someone who has a bit of domain knowledge to help guide that analysis of the data. You know, as, as, as nerds, we can go out and we can run statistical analysis on any data and find weird correlations that look like they're really, really strong correlations. Right. Um, they may not actually be real correlations. They might just happen to be things that occur near each other. So it's, it's important, you know, as you go through that to make sure you also have people who are helping you sort of iron out that analysis of the data so you don't embark on a marketing campaign that ultimately fails. And there that's that's what it's really all about. Yeah. Failed marketing? No, well, not failed marketing. <laughs> yeah. Successful Actually marketing. working from truth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think it's difficult no matter what your data source is, but the more data you have, the easier it is to like no, no, this really is statistically significant. No, I just think we have a lot of data. Right. So, Jeremiah, what's next for you? What are you working on? Um, what am I working on? I'm, I'm actually finishing up some, some tooling around the React database driver. Okay. Um, I have a couple of bugs in there. Other than that, I'm actually starting to do some more, um, working on a hive querying course. So in addition to that, you know, here, here's just me telling you this handful of technologies starting to put together a, here's how you would now get started using hive. Nice. So that way you're not sort of horrified. How do I get the current date? Oh, I use this Unix timestamp function (laughs) and it returns an integer. Right. Um, so that way, you know, help folks start making use of these, these new technologies rather than just fumbling around in the dark. Like I had to, when I first got started. And is this training stuff that you do, is this your own thing or do you go on site? Do you do plural site classes? What, what's the story there? So we do this through, through the company, through Brent Ozar Unlimited. Um, we've got training.brentozar.com and we've put a whole bunch of training up there to help folks figure, figure out a bunch of different tools and technologies. We have four mm-hmm. or five courses that focus on SQL Server. And I'm starting to, to push more of these Hadoop courses together as well to make life easier. When people are like, well, I've got to the point where I'm either going to have to buy you know, a million dollars worth of hardware or I could use all these old servers sitting in the back room. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. I wish you continued success and thank you for educating the public. You're obviously very understandable and very knowledgeable. So thank you again. Thank you very much for letting me talk. I appreciate it. You got it. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com.
Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a, a type of